0: Now, some of you, right off the bat, I might lose you, because who's this guy who's going back 25 years and using the word nervous breakdown? Well, I, I use it for a couple of reasons. I don't, I don't know why, but over the, past, over the past two years, as I've had an opportunity to, to be with people who have had these crises, it, the word nervous breakdown really seems to work for them. I mean, it's like something has broken uh, and and there, there are people I've spoken to they actually say that I felt something in my brain snap. Now, now nothing snapped. There wasn't uh, some neuron in their brain that broke in half. But it, it had that dramatic breakdown sort of feel to it. Uh, so I, you know, I chose the word nervous breakdown because in some ways it still, it still seems to be a metaphor that captures the experience of these people. However, as you can see in your outline, um, I'm, I'm thinking more technically of two different categories that people speak of. One, people talk of bipolar uh, disorder. They talk about mania, manic depression. Uh, the other one, they talk about schizophrenia. Now, these certainly are overlapping categories, but it might do you well to, to differentiate the two of them in your own thinking. Let me, let me be more specific. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm entitling mania as, as emotions that have run amok. Uh, your emotions have no gauge on them anymore, if you will. Schizophrenia, to be very simplistic, would be, would be thinking that has, has run amuck. if you want to make a distinction between thoughts and emotions. Now, to be more specific, let me give you a, a bit of a picture of the kind of person you may be seeing in these crises. First of all, the, the person's, person whose emotions have run amuck, the person that some people would call manic, or manic-depressive, or, bi, or bipolar... Emotions, what it's a peculiar disorder some of you uh, some of you wouldn 't mind having it, perhaps you feel good okay you you 're elevated you' you 're up you you feel like you 're on top of the world uh, you feel like you could go down to Atlantic City even though you 're not a gambler, but you can go down to Atlantic City and you know it 's your day yeah, i 've never quite woken up that way but but uh, you know, some people they you know they, they, for some reason they might wake up and just it's going to be a good day today. Nothing can go wrong. Well, that tends to be the feel that a manic person has. Just their their emotions, they're they're on a high. You know, nothing can go wrong. Whatever they do, it's it's going to go well. So, so you can you can see how some of these people are 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 oftentimes plagued by financial by by poverty, by very poor financial decisions because. I know what commodity to play today. Okay, I'm going to put every cent I have into this particular commodity. Or I'm going to start this particular business. Nobody else has started it before, and I know that this business is going to take off. There, you know, where, where's that coming from? Uh, it's coming from this, this expansive sort of emotion that nothing can go wrong today. Um, what else might you see with these people? They... They can, they, they can seem during the crisis phase; they can seem very flamboyant. Uh, a woman came to my office one time and she she was, a, she was a very conservative republican and she came into my office and she was dressed like a gypsy and she was she was dancing around and had this this long flowing skirt on and she had this this bag of, of goodies that she began to to show to me and and uh, the bag of goodies they were, they were meaningless to me it was just looked like different trinkets she had laying in her living room, uh, old lunch from the day before, uh, some orange peels in it. But these all had tremendous, tremendous significance. There's a, there's a flamboyance, a showiness that, that sometimes you'll, you'll find with this. Um, along, along with this, you'll find uh, people, they don't seem to sleep very much. Uh, their minds are racing. Uh, I mean, just idea after idea after idea. And who wants to sleep when you've got all these great ideas that you want to implement? Uh, and, and, and frankly, that, that sometimes is the best indicator of where they are in the crisis. Uh, uh, for example, there are going to be times when, you, when, you, when a person seems like they're in this manic crisis, you go and you speak to them, and oftentimes you're going to be able to sort of talk them down a little bit. Um, but then you ask them, how's your sleep been? And you're going to find they're sleeping maybe one hour a night, two hours a night. Um, and after you stop being envious of that, you, you recognize that, that, they, that they are not done this particular manic experience, so you better stay pretty close to them. You better stay close to them in, until their sleep cycle goes back to what it was normally. If they, if they sleep, slept eight hours a night, seven hours, six hours, whatever it was, Normally, you stick close to them until their sleep their their, their sleep is uh, is is steady and normalized in some way. Some other things you're going to find. Oh, by the way, sometimes when I think about mania, Paul Tripp comes to mind. <laughs> I, 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 you know, the flamboyant dresser. You know, the the energetic guy. That if you worked with him, you'd know that he's just this this never-ending pot of ideas. But uh, but uh, He might be on the manic spectrum, but, uh, but he's, you know, it's not a crisis as far as I can tell. Uh, some, other, some other people that I'm thinking of. A, a guy who would go into these manic phases a couple times a year, and the kids on the street, they loved him. Because when he would go into a manic phase, he would, he would corral all the kids on the street and somehow the parents would let these kids go. He, this was in California. He would, uh, he would rent a van, a, a, a big, big van. He would take all these kids out to Lake Powell, and he would rent a houseboat and a motorboat. And I mean, this guy was a popular fellow. Uh, and he would do that for two weeks, he, and he would come back, and he would be literally destitute. Every charge card would have been maxed out. Uh, and, and here, but notice the problem here. Everybody in the street thinks this guy is just, just the grandest guy of all. But the family lives through something that feels hellish every single day. Um, uh, so but with my introduction of suggesting that, that uh, the crisis is oftentimes life, not life-threatening is not to say that it doesn't have devastating implications for the home. Sometimes you'll find people having very strange speech. Their, their speech will, will follow their mind. They'll go from one thing to another, to another, to another. It's like you, you, you can't slow them down. Uh, sometimes their speech can get very playful. There'll be puns. There'll be plays on words. There'll be, there'll be rhymes. Uh, uh, I mean, all sorts of uh, peculiar things. That might be what you see when you see a person who is moving through this manic stage. A person who feels like nothing can go wrong in their life. And you can see how how entering into their world during that crisis might be very difficult because you need them at that point. Okay, they have the ideas. They have all the ideas you need for for effective ministry. They have ideas how your church is going to explode to a thousand people tomorrow. You need them and all their ideas. I mean, they don't need help at that particular time. So you can see how it's. Uh, uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a difficulty for some people as you begin to move toward them. So that's, that's the emotions run amok. That's, that might be one type of the crisis. The other type of crisis will be what some people call schizophrenia or thoughts run amok. Some of the experiences that these people might have. You're, somebody's talking, and you're you know, in private conversation, and, and uh, you're, you're listening to them talk, and, and you gradually begin... It's almost like a camera, and the camera begins to focus on some strange detail on their face. You look at a mole, okay, or you look at this one tooth, uh, and, and pretty soon the entire screen is filled up with that particular detail. A little bit hard to listen in those sorts of situations, it certainly is. Um, so sometimes there's this, there's this, this, this distortion of what, what is most important. Instead of getting the bigger scene, It's like all these little pieces, and and as a result, you focus on one little tiny thing to the exclusion of all else. Very peculiar world. Some of you, if you've ever seen Pablo Picasso's Cubist-type period, you might get a bit of a feel for some of it. Just this fragmented world, so you just try try to get some sort of order so you focus on one little tiny piece of it. Mm -hmm. Hallucinations are not uncommon with persons who who uh, have problems with their thoughts. And hallucinations are usually auditory. They can, they can occur in any sensory modality. They can, they can be visual. They can be gustatory. They can be tactile. They can, they can occur in any sense, but they tend more often than not to be auditory. You hear them. Uh, also, what is characteristic of them is if you ask a person if they're hearing voices and they, and they say yes, well, consider what it might be like. Okay, here I am speaking to you, and I have these voices in the back of my mind saying, "You're such a loser. You're such a. You don't. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're you're just a sham. Hey, oh, your 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 zippers down. Oh, hey, you better check your zipper, and uh, oh, look at this person over there. They're they're sleeping. They they couldn't care a thing about what you have to say today. You are such a jerk. And and here you have this incessant conversation taking place in the back of your mind. I mean, it might be difficult to." Have a conversation with somebody uh, in those sorts of situations. The hallucinations, especially when they're verbal, they tend to be nasty. They tend to be critical. They tend to be condemning. Uh, I oftentimes hear them to be sexual. Uh, we, uh, we had a person live at our house for a while who, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably tell you a little bit more about it later, but, but uh, one day we came home from, from work. My wife and I came home from work, and he was nowhere to be found. We uh, eventually found him in one of the bedrooms, naked, and masturbating. Um, Now, what do you do do in a situation like that? Uh, uh, What we did afterwards was I just asked him, what was happening? (laughs) Why were you doing that? And what what came out was this person was having hallucinatory voices. The hallucinatory voices were saying, you're impotent, you're impotent, you're no man. There's no way you can ever have an erection. And to try, to try to have some sort of sense that he might be a man, he decided to masturbate. Well, that's, not, that's not a good reason for it, but I'm just trying to give you some sort of sense of the, the, the unusual, the chaotic, the distorted, the bizarre world that some of these people can be experiencing as you move toward them in the midst of crises. Now, the person who pro- have, has problems with thoughts, uh, when you have these hallucinations, it's not surprising that you would withdraw from people. The manic person—they tend to move toward people because everybody needs them. They tend to be gregarious, effusive. The the person who tends to have problems with their thoughts—they tend to withdraw. The world of people is is frightening. Uh, you, you 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 want to try to isolate yourself. Maybe your world will have just a little bit more order when when you do that. One other thing you might find with these people is they they live many times in a world of delusion. Now, sometimes the delusion, I believe, is just trying to make sense out of these hallucinatory voices. For example, a uh, person every once in a while would hear these hallucinatory voices. We're going to get you. We're going to get you. wasn't much more than that. Um, what was he going to do with that? Well, w- w- his delusion became, there in, in his apartment building, there was a, a duct system going through the apartment. And, and he believed that there were men in this duct system. Uh, and they were eavesdropping on all his conversations. Uh, they had this technological device so they could hear everything. Uh, and and then he had it all worked out, where he believed that uh, he killed one of his friends when he was younger. And these people were trying to catch him. Some, somewhere along the line, perhaps he would make some sort of confession. Um, another person. Uh, uh, <laughs> they, they had... Uh, had some hallucinations and they didn't know what to do with them, so did the only thing they could think of. Somebody, when I wasn't when I wasn't aware of it, somebody implanted a radio in my nose. Uh, that's what the person literally believed because uh, he kept hearing these voices. Now, now the, he was he was a bit perplexed as how the people on the radio knew him and how they would say his name every now and then, but uh, he believed that somebody planted a radio in his nose. Uh, here's a guy who 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 was so committed to that delusion that he went to multiple doctors pleading for surgeries, uh, pleading for x-rays. One time he had an x-ray where, where there was a little artifact in the x-ray in, in, you know, in this area. Proved it. Okay. There it is. There's that doggone radio, and somebody's got it taken out. Uh, and you can see how this delusion can begin to, to, to grow and grow, where now the doctors might be in the cahoots. Maybe the doctors were the ones that put it in there in the first place. This, this is the world that, that you're going to be entering into when, when there's a person who has this crisis that would fall in this category of insanity. Um, a, uh, a, a very, very peculiar world. Well, Let me give you, give you one other before, before I move to, to something else. Um, person who believed they were poisoned. Uh, they, uh, you know, they had these hallucinatory voices. Same sort of thing. Uh, like this other guy. We're going to get you. Uh, you've, uh, you've been doing some things that are really wrong and you're going to have to pay for it. Well, the person put it all together and they believed that their family was trying to poison them. Now that that can turn into an incredible crisis because here's the parents doing everything they can for this for this boy and the boy says, why are you trying to poison me? I mean, you can take that for so long. And after a while, you say, hey, I've been, I've been, I've been shedding blood and tears for you for years. And now you're saying that I'm trying to poison you? And that's uh, so what happens? So you start getting into an argument with the person. No, you come down for dinner. I don't care, I don't care what you think. You come down, and you're going to eat this stuff. Power struggle develops. Now the person knows for sure that they're being poisoned, uh, and, uh, and pretty soon you're you're called because there's this fight in the home. Uh, this particular situation, the boy drew a knife on his parents. Um, now that's a crisis, uh, but how are you going to deal with that? Uh, it was perhaps if the parents would have said, "Okay, okay is there?" Would, would you be more comfortable if you cooked your food? Um, could we drive you to the store, and maybe you can purchase the things and cook them for yourself for a little while? Uh, is there any way that it would be easier for you to eat? Uh, perhaps, and this might, might not be possible, but perhaps to give the person a certain allowance for to eat at Burger King for a couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, there are a number of different ways you can circumvent that kind of power struggle, uh, but let me assure you that they happen so frequently. In these situations, that's a little bit about the experience. Now, my goal here is not to give you give you a, a full orb theory of the cause of insanity, but you might have. It'd probably be good for you to have some sense of uh, of of where these things might be coming at, coming from. I'm suggesting there are three different factors here, and as far as I can tell, you basically need all three factors for there to be insanity: sin, difficult circumstances and a certain physical constitution. Um, I have sinned many times in my life, uh, and I've been in very difficult circumstances before, but I've, I've never gone insane. I've never gone manic. I've never had all sorts of crazy thoughts. Um, I, don't, I don't think I got the constitution for it. Okay, um, I, can, I can experience other things, but, uh, but I don't tend to experience insanity. You've got to have those three. Uh, You've got to have, I, I believe, a, a physical tendency toward, toward, those, expe- toward those experiences, uh, some circumstances that incite them, and usually, not all the time, but usually a sinful response to the different, difficult circumstances that you're going to be encountering. Now, the reason I tell you that is because one of the things that I'm going to be asking you to do subsequent to the crisis is... Begin to talk about the crisis with the person. Now, I remember the first time that I experienced a crisis with a person who went insane. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you don't appreciate this. Maybe you wouldn't experience this at all. But I didn't. I didn't want to say a word about what happened. It was. I knew it was embarrassing for the person. Uh, the person did all sorts of weird things, said all sorts of weird things, and so I'm going to protect them. I'm just not going. To, I'm not going to say anything. That was the worst thing that I could do because they are more confused about it than I am. Um, So I'm going to encourage you to sit down with people and say, what happened? What did you just go through? And maybe begin to uncover some some circumstances that were difficult, some circumstances that the person had a sinful response to. Uh, And then you have the pleasure of, of learning a biblical response to some of those difficult circumstances. Uh, if the person has a certain constitution for that, uh, there's not much you can do. Uh, but but you certainly can do something with circumstances, and and the sinful responses. So the cause of of insanity, you tend to have the, the confluence of these three different three different issues: sin, circumstances, and physical constitution. Now. A few counseling musts these are going to seem very repetitious from the rest of the day, I recognize, but but a few counseling musts that that, that you you should have in mind as, as you 're asked to participate in these sort of crises now these These musts are no different really than than anything you do in normal counseling. I, I understand that, but I, I, I suggest these three and i 'll add one other one because these are these are areas where i 've had lots of problems in crisis counseling. And these are areas where I've seen other helpers also have some problems. Let me let me go through them. The first one: emotional hyperreactivity is absolutely deadly. Uh, now I, you've heard that in every everything so far, I suspect. And you gave perhaps the 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 best treatment for you uh, in the first session, Mike Bobek. I was talking about some of Jay's material. He has Jay Adams has a pamphlet called What to Do in Trouble. It's a very interesting outline. He he says, God is in the trouble, God is up to something in the trouble. And and Romans 8.28, God is up to something good in the trouble. Um, perhaps that is going to be uh, your predominant arsenal to to, to not overreact, not, not be hyper-reactive uh, in the midst of, of, of a particular crisis. If there's anything that secular and Christian people say about crisis, crises and insanity, you demonstrate strong, overwhelming emotions, and the person will get worse. Now you can see how sometimes the family might not be the best counselor in this situation um, because, because they've, they, 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 they've, you know, they've spend so much time with this person, and they're going to be very upset, they're going to be tired, they're going to feel like they are at the end of their rope. And it might be best for the family to to go to another place for a while, uh, because the family can be very can can truly be hyperreactive. Now, when I say hyperreactive, I I mean a couple things. First of all, you avoid those power struggles. You are going to eat no matter what. I don't care if you think this is poison. The worst thing that can happen to you is you'll die, Uh, and there are worse things than that. uh, yeah, th- those things really do happen. Uh, so that, I mean, that's one kind of hyperreactivity. Another is uh, an anger, because many times these people are, are are saying things that are bizarre. They're accusing you of things that are patently wrong. Um, and yeah, the normal response is to get angry in those situations. Another kind of hyperreactivity is you is you try to hover and control, and you know you you you, know, you, you just yeah, you, you try to control the person's life, um, where the person's out of control, and you got to go in and you got to save them. Uh, anything along that particular spectrum will make the insanity worse. Now, I you know, everybody's looking for their niche in life, and, and uh, sometimes I wonder if this is one of the niches that God has given me because, because. Some of my close friends, they affectionately call me boring. Uh, I don't react to things sometimes. And, uh, and so, I, so I say, hey, maybe this is, maybe this is my niche. You know, I, I, I can't be hyper-reactive with insane people. Maybe it's good to be boring in these situations. So if you're a boring person like myself, uh, maybe this will be your niche as well. Um, there, there is one emotion you can express, though. And I, I suspect all of you have had this experience. I, I love you tends to penetrate all kinds of things, okay? And it tends to penetrate insanity. Uh, here, I don't know how many times I've seen stark raven lunatics uh, who, who just were stopped in their tracks by somebody who came up and said, I, I know you're really struggling right now, but I want you to know that I love you and I'm for you. And I don't know how we're going to get through this, but, but I love you. Uh, and you pray. You do those Hezekiah prayers. Uh, that's not that, that's not emotional hyperreactivity, okay? That's just godliness. Uh, that's just that's just being a priest as you come to to a person who's struggling with insanity. Love seems to oftentimes penetrate this this fog of insanity. The void of emotional hyperreactivity couple other things that are, that are obvious. No monologues. Now, now, this is what you can say in all counseling. But you can see how it's especially relevant here because a person who has problems with their thinking, they're just not going to understand long comments that you have. Uh, a person who is, who is called manic, they have all these thoughts going through their mind, and if you go for longer than 10 seconds, they're already, they're, they're already at thought number five. Uh, so, so especially in these situations... You're going to have to be short. You're going to, have to be concise, and and after you say something, if you believe it's important, you're going to you're going to ask the person to respond to it. And if they didn't get it, then you're going to try and you're going to say something like, I, "I know it's really hard to understand right now, but I think this is important." Um, uh, yeah, so 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 try to stay with me just to, just a little bit. And if if you start to lose it, raise your hand, okay, uh, and then you try it again and you try it again. Uh, no monologues. You keep your comments short. You have one question at a time. These are persons who mentally are distractible. They're disorganized. It's like their attention is just flapping in the breeze, going to whatever calls out for it. Uh, some, there have been times where I've gone to people's homes and, and the television has been on in the background. That's impossible. There's no way you can speak to them with that kind of background noise, a radio in the background, an air conditioner in the background, um, a, a dog barking down the block. Uh, I mean, there's this, there's this, there's this mind that uh, that it just it just can't stick on the matters at hand. It's just racing in all sorts of different directions. No monologues. Third thing: be honest with the person who's in the crisis. If, it, if at all possible, allow them to participate in any decisions. Now, recognize if they're, especially if they're having hallucinations, they're they're already a little suspicious about what's going on around them. Uh, their world is already a bit out of control, and uh, you go and cloister yourself off with the rest of the family and say, "Just wait here a second i 'll you know, I'll, I'll be back in around fifteen minutes uh, all, that, all that does is it gives them more and more time to to invent some of the things that that you may be speaking of uh, and, and all of a sudden there 's a conspiracy that it 's against them. Be honest with the person in crisis in, in crisis um, sometimes I, I think they... You know the uh, the tale. What is it? The the emperor's new clothes. Um, uh, many times I, I find in crises there's this emperor's new clothes look, where all these people are sitting around and they're acting like everything is okay, and then you have this this kid who said who says, "What are you saying those crazy things for? Okay, <laughs> are you really acting weird? Um, you be honest with the person when." When I speak to persons who are manic, I I, I will inevitably say, something's really different. Um, I, your your mind is working a whole lot different than it was before. And and you know, frankly, some of the things you're saying, I don't I, I don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. In fact, I would imagine that some people think you're saying things that are pretty weird right now. You you, you sound crazy. That's um, just that's just being honest with the person. Okay, you're uh, you're the little kid who. He says, Emperor, you don't have any clothes on. Uh, you, you just speak honestly to the person. Uh, you're open with the person. And certainly this goes for after the crises as well. If you're thinking about hospitalization with the person, you, you tell them. You, you say, uh, it's been hard for you to sleep recently. I know your thoughts are racing like crazy. Um, we're not sure what to do. And what we're going to do is, I think the best thing would be to drive to the hospital emergency room and and just consult with one of the one of the physicians at the emergency room. Uh, maybe they can help us out a bit. You 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 be honest with them. You don't just say, "Hey, we're going to go for a ride," and uh, and then you show up at the emergency room. Those things do happen very frequently. Um, you you know, people treat the person as sort of subhuman. Okay, you. Uh, You know, you got it. They're fragile. You have to you have to protect them. No monologues. Uh, Be honest with the person in crisis. One other thing, you, I don't have this on your outline. You will have to know the difference between weird behavior and and sinful behavior and dangerous behavior. A a woman who stayed at our house, she uh, she was crazy, and and one of the things she used to do it uh, it was very entertaining for us as a family. Whenever she came into a room, she would always face you. She would never turn around. Uh, So it goes something like this. You're sitting over there. And And then she would walk out of the room like this. Now, that's weird behavior, okay? That's not dangerous, and it's not necessarily sinful. It's just, just sort of weird, that's all. You know the difference between between those kinds of behaviors. Uh, sometimes a person might not be doing anything dangerous or sinful. They're just doing things that are just plain odd. Um, and you approach odd behavior a little bit differently than you approach dangerous behavior. Now, I recognize with some of these people that uh, there's, there's a difficult issue because, because these people seem unpredictable. They say things you don't know what they're going to say. Uh, and unpredictable people, they're scary. Uh, you don't know, maybe they're going to do something dangerous. Maybe, maybe they're going to come at you. Well, I recognize that the vast majority of these people are not dangerous. Uh, if they're dangerous, you're going to know it. Their anger is going to be the cutting edge of everything they do. Uh, but these people are no more dangerous than the general population. Uh, they're just a lot weirder than, than the general population. Um, and in this country, we, we tend not to have much tolerance for weirdness. In, in England, by the way, the uh, people don't talk about schizophrenia very much. They don't go in hospitals, and some people suggest it's because the Brits have... Is Malcolm here? Uh, the, the, because the Brits have more tolerance for, for eccentric behavior. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a couple of things you you, uh, you should be keeping in mind. Um, an accountant who comes into your office, and uh, and he's, he just went to the store the night before, and he bought brought this uh, this leather jacket with, with chains and spikes in it. And he bought these black leather boots that uh, are the craziest things you would ever see. Uh, it's not necessarily sinful, but it is weird. Okay? Uh, it's not necessarily dangerous. Something you want to follow up on, though. So, and what, what's an honest thing to say? You know, why did you ever buy those clothes? Okay, <laughs> doesn't that seem a little different? I mean, is this? Have you ever done these sorts of things before? Is this your normal outfit? I've just never seen it. Uh, you speak honestly to the person. Uh, going on in your outline, three questions that that you can be asking of these people, and then maybe even before that comment. Realize that you can talk a person. Down from insanity, much more often than you think—at least temporarily, anyway. Uh, For example, here's a here's a a schizophrenic person, and uh, and here's something I've thought of uh, oftentimes. Um, They're sapping my juices. They're sapping my juices. They're sapping my juices. Well, how can you discern the sense in the nonsense? Don't try to you know just get a feel for it. They're sapping my juices. What does it feel like? It feels like the person's a bit claustrophobic. (laughs) It feels like the person has all these people just trying to take a piece out of them. Well, um, here's a person, as as loony as can be, and perhaps if you say, "Uh, Am I sitting too close? They'll say, Yeah. (laughs) Can you sit farther away from me? Um, They they may be talking about having all these strange experiences, and they're using these weird ways to talk about their strange experiences. We'll just try to get a sense of what it's like. Um, uh, I just killed somebody. I just killed somebody. You killed somebody. What, what did you do? Um, you begin to get a sense that it's a, it's a delusionary uh, thing the person is going through. Well, what's, what's happening? Boy, you, you, you must be feeling awful. You must be having a bad case of the guilties right now. Um, The guy, all all of a sudden, this crazy lunatic says, "Yeah, I feel I feel so guilty, and I don't know what to do with it. Uh, It's just it's just burning a hole. It's burning a hole in my heart, and I can't stand it." Discern the sense, nonsense. Um, Try to listen. They use they use very very dramatic language sometimes. Get a feel for what their language might be might be saying, uh, and and interpret it in a sense. The the woman who walked backwards, it made perfect sense. Uh, I mean, we used to we used to chuckle and joke with her every now and then about it, but uh, but here's a woman who uh, who didn't want to be uncovered. Uh, she here's a woman who felt guilty, and this was the the bizarre way. I don't know if it's that bizarre. This is the way she tried to. She, she communicated her guilt. She didn't want anybody to see her. If she could see them, she could have some sort of control. But if she turned her back, she felt like she was in some way out of control, exposed. Somehow people could see her sins if, uh, if, if they were behind her. Um, and so here's a person saying, you know, walking backwards, I and mean, make a big deal out of her walking backwards, but all, all you've got to do is just say, okay, how can Christ meet you in the midst of your guilt? Uh, what does forgiveness of sins mean to you right now? Many times you can talk a, a bizarre person down from from their insanities now i 'm talking about a person with problems thinking right now with a with a person whose, whose mind is going like this uh, and have all these different ideas. What do you do? Well, just be normal and honest uh, i don 't have a clue as to what you 're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, could you slow down a little bit could you Could you just say one thing at a time i 'm just I'm just not getting this. My mind is not working the same speed as yours. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find nine times out of ten, people will start to slow down. Um, and all of a sudden, you'll see a certain lucidity come. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I guess I am speaking pretty quickly. Uh, nine times out of ten, you're going to be able to, ta- be, be able to talk a person down from, from their insanity if you don't emotionally overreact. Now, now that's not the end of the line. I don't know how many times I have talked a person down from their insanity, and the next day they were stark raving lunatics again, uh, and then the next day they were again, um, and and then, then perhaps you're going to have to start thinking about something else. But recognize, oftentimes in the crisis, you're going to be able to be able to talk the person down. Now, a couple questions that are very—I I, I think these are fairly critical questions. Does the person have a realistic sense of the problem? You know why? Uh, you, you know why your mom asked me to come and talk to you today. Um, you know how are you doing right now? How is your thinking? Anything unusual happening? Has there, have there been any recent changes in your thinking? Um, and if they if they if they say no, I think everything's going great. Um, perhaps give them some illustrations. Well, you know you're you don't seem to be listening as well. Um, you seem to be spending an awful lot of time by yourself. You seem to be frightened to death by people. You seem to want to withdraw and be isolated. It seems like something is going on. Uh, does the person have some sort of sense that there is a problem? Uh, if, if you have a yes to that, that's a good sign. If you have a no to that, it means you might have to, to, uh, uh, to do something that might even include hospitalization. A second question. Is the person submissive to Scripture as well as the counsel of other people? Here's this manic person, and they have all the answers. You don't have the answers. Bob, are you willing to do James 1.19? Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I know that that seems very, very difficult for you right now, but could we work on this together? Uh, Another thing I might do. Uh, Is a person submissive to the counsel of God's people and and, and Scripture itself? uh, A person who was, 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 was in a manic phase, he recognized that, that things were different. Yeah, you're right, Ed, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking different than I am right now. I'm thinking fast, but I'm okay, I'm okay. Well, would you be willing to do this? Don't make any business decisions at all right now. Don't make any business decisions at all. He said, yeah, I think I, think I can do that. Um, but it, it was this, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I can do that. In other words, he wanted a loophole. Uh, the next day, the person went out, uh, emptied his, his uh, bank account, emptied his wife's bank account, emptied uh, his retirement fund, and he purchased a business that was a completely dead-end business without any legal counsel. And within a week, he was bankrupt. Um, Are you willing to be submissive to, to God's word and to other people? Here you can see how you must be a lover of the person if you're going to be able to get through to a deranged mind. You must be a lover. If you're not, you better get a person who is. Or you better get a person who is a trusted friend. Who can who can move into their life and say, I know that things just feel like they're crazy right now. But please, let me beseech you, before you make any decisions, please, let's do it together. And here's some scripture just to keep in mind here. Proverbs eleven fourteen For lack of guidance a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Proverbs twelve fifteen The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs fifteen twenty two, plans fail for lack of counsel. With many advisors, they succeed. These are critical passages. And are you aligning these things up with the, the, the right symptoms? The, the person who tends to be hyper-manic, these are the kind of scriptures that they, that they must hear. Um, Proverbs 20, 18. Make plans by seeking advice. Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. If one falls down, a friend can pick him up. Second. That's the second question. The third question is there a resource person, a trusted, loving, caring, wise resource person or group? Uh, many times, I I will be involved in ho- hospitalization with people, because they don't they, they they believe everybody else has the problem, not themselves. They're not willing to submit the scripture in this situation. Uh, but probably more than anything else, there aren't the resource people around. Um, I I once went to a church in Salt Lake City, and. It's a very unusual church, a lot of younger people in it, they weren't married, and and when crazy people came to them, they lived with them, and it was dramatic, the things that would take place, absolutely dramatic. Person had, they, there was, one, there was one fellow who would get hospitalized just about every month, uh, and he became a case study at the hospital because he went into this caring community, they just treated him normally, taught him about Christ, discipled him in the scripture. Uh, and when, it, when he started to get real weird, people would say, now, sort of saying some weird things right now. Okay, try, to, try to remember how other people are, are thinking a little bit differently than you. Uh, the person went through some absolutely dramatic changes. Unfortunately, there aren't many churches who can do that. Um, and so as a result, there are situations where hospitalization may be one of the only choices that you have with this person. So is there a resource person or group um, That will be essential if you're going to try to work with the person in the context uh, of the community. Now, to pursue these questions a little bit more, if if the person says yes to these questions, or if if you discern yes to these questions, the person recognizes something peculiar is going on, they're willing to submit to Scripture, and there are resource persons around, then what do you do? Well, you want to simplify expectations in the home. You recognize that that the family might be in as much crisis as, as the person, him or, her, or, him or herself. Um, you, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll say, here, here, here are the new laws. You speak with kindness to the people in the home. Now, now, that might be pretty difficult when they have hallucinations that they attribute to people in the home, where uh, they believe that somebody's poisoned them in the home, but speak with kindness to the people in the home. Uh, another thing that's very troubling for families, these persons aren't sleeping very well. And so, and and when I've had people stay at my own house, that's probably been the most difficult thing. I hear the person wandering all around the house. I hear them going to the kitchen. I hear them putting the stove on. Will they will they turn the stove off or not? Uh, all night I'm up, and by the next morning, the person says anything cross to me, and I'm ready to explode. Um, but uh, you know, how can how can you how can one of the, the expectations be? At night, between the, between the time of 11 and 7, you're going to be in your room, and you're going to be quiet. You can't make a person sleep, but you can, you can ask them to be quiet. They can write letters. Um, they, can, they can write a novel. They can draw pictures. They can do anything they want, but they must be quiet, and they must stay in their room. Uh, if, if those three questions have yes answers, uh, these are perhaps some things that you can, you can pursue. Some other comments? You know that things are a little bit different right now let me ask you not to make any decisions, not to make any work decisions, not to make any dramatic fin- uh, family decisions. Um, uh, and, and I know this sounds almost punitive, but how about if I take, I take your credit cards away? Now, that's, that's going to be a tough one. You, you better be a trusted friend to try to pull something like that. But um, you know, it could be you're going to be out in a store and you're going to say, my wife would love that and you put the $5,000 item on the credit card. Um, How about if I take your credit card and give you a a $10 limit every day? That will be more than enough to keep you going. Um, For the family, what are you going to offer the family? Give the person daily time to be alone, especially if they have problems with their thoughts. Don't make them participate with the family all the time. And I would say don't make them eat every single meal with the family either. Um, If you're going to talk about problems that have been in the home... You're looking for the good times to talk about the problems uh, rather than the time when the person might seem uh, a little bit more bizarre. Third thing, the family cannot focus on the delusion. I have, there's only one time I've ever talked a person out of a delusion, uh, and that was when a person was, uh, was talking about uh, people living under his bed. And so I said, well... To check it out. So I went in the room and looked under the bed, and there wasn't anybody there. And he said, "Good." <laughs> that was it. It was very, very peculiar. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, you try to understand their delusion and figure it out, and talk them out of it. It will just get much, much worse. It will get much worse. For example, a person who who came to me and they they said they said that uh, my 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 last pastor is controlling me. He's controlling me. Yeah, he uh, uses mind control. Tells me what to do, and I am sick of him doing it. And he's doing doing it to other people. And the mind control is always sexual. Uh, he's always he's always calling me into some sort of adulterous relationship with him. Well, yeah, it seems to make the sense. that one thing you could say is, well, let's go talk to the pastor. But I guarantee, if you talk to the pastor, see you see what I'm saying. He's done it to you too. Okay. Now he's controlled your mind because you don't think there's any problem. He has really duped you. Uh, you you cannot break through a delusion. So so so, you know, how can you be? How can you not be sidetracked by the bizarre? How can you make sense out of the nonsense? How can you normalize the delusion? Yeah. Boy, it's a pretty scary world for you right now. Um, you feel like you're completely out of control, controlled by all sorts of things around you. Uh, how, can you how can you normalize their experience? Uh, don't get caught up in their delusions. Don't ask all sorts of questions about their hallucina- hallucinations. They're going to be fascinating. They're uh, going to be very curious, but don't try to break into them. Um, by the way, maybe I should suggest one other thing there. If the person is a hallucinator, one thing I will, I, I will say uh, is part of the, the decreased expectations. Kindness. Uh, uh, being being in bed at a certain time don't act on your hallucinations Uh, and I might say voices rather than the word hallucinations the voices are going to maybe tell you to do things don't act on them a woman who comes to my counseling office and she says uh, the voices are driving me nuts the voices are telling me to poke out my daughter's eyes with a fork that seems like a counseling crisis um what are you going to do in a situation like that? Uh, I, I mentioned this a little bit later, but one thing you ought to be doing is, how long have the voices been telling you to do this? Uh, they've been telling you to do it for a long time? If, uh, what's happened when the voices have told you to do it? Now You might, you might think I'm, I'm ignorant when I say this, but when she told me this, I said, okay, just don't do what the voices tell you, <laughs> and go home and love your daughter. Uh, and that's what she did. I said that because she'd been having those hallucinations for a number of years. and, and uh, I'm using history as sort of a predictor of the future in this one. She's never done that to her daughter. See, everybody who has hallucinatory voices knows that those hallucinatory voices are resistible. No, no matter what the hallucination might be, might be saying, it can't make you sin. Uh, and so I'm saying that that is one of the expectations. The hallucination, the, the, the voice that you're hearing, it can't make you do something that God says you're not supposed to do. Um, so... Don't poke. Don't don't take the fork and poke through your daughter's eyes. I, in your outline, I have a couple of thoughts about if, if the person is being is, is being monitored at home or in the caring community uh, rather than the hospital setting. One thing you might want to consider: there are there are medical problems that can mimic uh, that can emerge as insanity. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of guidelines, but it might be a good idea if you're going to be working with the person to, to at least consult with a physician somewhere down the line. I would say that this would be mandatory if the person is over 35 years old and, they, and they, they've gone insane and they've never gone insane before. Then it's mandatory that whether you work with the person at home or not, you, you, you make sure you get them for some sort of medical evaluation. If the person is saying or the family is saying no to these questions, uh, you have you have a bit more of a dilemma. I've already given you one thing to consider. What's happened in the past? Has the person gone insane in the past? I I, I was I had a call recently, where a, a wife frantically called and and she said my husband's just he's just gone crazy. He he uh, he came back from work and he started banging his head against the door uh, to the point where uh, he, he almost was bleeding. Uh, it was in, it was in the middle of winter and he. He, uh, he went into the pool, which a you know, dirty old pool filled with all sorts of stuff, uh, and he ended up diving in the pool. Uh, where is he right now? He's asleep right now. Uh, has this ever happened before? Well, you know, I, I remember his parents saying that it did happen once before. Do you remember what happened at that point? Yeah, they said it was a very short-lived phenomenon. It, it lasted, uh, actually it was very similar to this, where it just seemed to, just seemed to have all this energy and didn't know what to do with it. Then he fell asleep and and it seemed to be over. Um, so what I suggested to the woman was, let's not let's not let's not do anything drastic at this point. You uh, just just I mean, when he gets up, see how he's doing. Call me if there's if there's any problems at all. And when he woke up, he was he was fine. Now, there needed to be a whole lot of work done with this man, as well as the family, because now they're, they're living with this powder keg. When's he going to go insane next? That's why I say sometimes it's more of a family crisis than it is an individual crisis. Um, but uh, but the, the, the history informed the way, the, the way we were going to go with this particular fellow. So is there a previous history? Find out what it is. Um, uh, if, if the person has... Uh, uh, how do I say this? If... If a person has been belligerent uh, to the point of of fighting with people in the past, then it might happen again. Be alert to that. Uh, If the person has wandered off in the past, and uh, they wandered off for days, we'll be alert to that perhaps happening again. Now, perhaps the most difficult questions here. Um, I assume that that a number of you have questions about hospitalization and medication. Uh, Is that ever appropriate? And And I've already I've already suggested to you that that yeah many, there have been many times where I've been involved in seeing somebody hospitalized because they didn't realize they had a problem because they weren't willing to be submissive to the scripture or to other people uh, and or because there weren't any resources around that could really walk with this person through the uh, through the midst of their insanity now uh, certainly my opinion regarding hospitalization as well as medication is when you don't have to you don't uh, if you can deal with it in the context of, of, a, of a caring home, do it. Hospitals, no matter how good they are, they still tend to be dehumanizing. Medication, no matter how much it helps, still can have side effects, and, uh, uh, and, and, and there are still side effects that people don't even know about at this point, I'm, I'm certain. Uh, so so my, my opinion is these are the last things you want to do, but if you work with people in insane crises, there will be times where you opt for hospitalization as well as for medication. The accountant who came in with the, the leather boots, um, he uh, spent all his money. When that was over, we, uh, we recognized that, that we underestimated uh, what was going on. And we, we took him to a hospital. And he didn't want to go to the hospital at all, because he knew that something was going wrong. But it wasn't something that demanded hospitalization went into the hospital for, for three or four days. He just did not want to be there. They ended up giving him lithium. And, and a day after they gave him lithium, he called me on the phone. He said, Ed, the weirdest thing has happened. I, I think I know what normal is. And this is the way he described it. He, he, he says, I, I, really, I had this sense that my whole life has been this, this gauge that has gone from one extreme to the other. It's gone from the extreme of depression to the extreme of manic excitement. For the first time, I feel like the gauge is sort of, it's not redlining one way or the other. Uh, now, I'm not trying to say that medication is the cure-all by any means. Uh, I'm trying to say that, that the Salt Lake community, that, that is the most powerful of interventions. But there are going to be times where the, some of the physical symptoms can be, the, can be repressed, can be changed in some way with medication. With this person, the physical symptom of the this crazy mood that kept going back and forth—it sort of brought it back within normal limits. Um, there are going to be times when you, when you're going to hospitalize or ask the person to consider medication. For a theoretical background on this, you might want to might want to take a look at my book on the counselor's guide and the brain and disorders under schizophrenia and under mania. If, if you think that you might be over the head, your head in the crisis, here are some things you can consider. I have them on the outline. One is you can call the family physician. Uh, an office visit might rule out any, any problems. An office visit might uh, might lead to medication for sleep or it might lead to medication such as lithium or something called an antipsychotic. Um, you can take the person to a hospital emergency room. I've done this a number of times. The emergency room can act almost as a medical consultation. Uh, sometimes they will give the person a shot to help them sleep and that will be more than enough if there are resources in the person's life. Uh, if they're not, sometimes the medical community will decide that it might be most important for the person to be hospitalized, uh, and and then the, medical, th- then the hospital will take care of that particular procedure. Third option where, is, is where the, the team surrounding the person might believe that, uh, that a short-term hospitalization might be most appropriate. Um, what kind of hospital do you choose? Well, there are Christian hospitals around, and there, there are going to be a whole lot more. Uh, there's this hope that's going to be starting up in Quakertown There's Rafa that's uh, not too far away. Um, my, I guess my own sense, however, is: Do I look for a Christian or non-Christian hospital? I, I'm not thinking that. All I'm thinking is: I want, I, I want a short-term hospitalization, just for the person to to get a good night's sleep, perhaps, uh, for there to be people around him to to keep him from roaming or straying away. Um, I want a hospital that I'm going to be able to afford. <laughs> okay, um, I want a hospital that will work with the family as well as the church. Um, those are basically the the criteria that I'm looking for, and I'd like a hospital that's close, so I can I can participate in this person's life during the during the time that they're in the hospital. So, so I guess my own opinion is that it, it's it's not that important which hospital it is, whether it's Christian or non-Christian. Uh, it's important that you can afford it. It's important that you can have some sort of access to the person. It's important the hospital has some sort of reputation that they work with people in the community. Um, I have one other thing in your outline as well. There are times where a person might be completely out of control, angry, and and there aren't the resources around the person to help. Uh, there are such things as involuntary commitments. I have never done an involuntary commitment but I know other counselors and I know pastors who have participated in them. To make a long story short, with involuntary commitments, there are two ways to do it. One, you go to the county seat and you get, you get a form for involuntary commitment. The other is you call the police. if The person is really out of control and they come and, get, come and get him or her. Now, I don't have any more time. Let me give you just one illustration before I close in prayer. This takes us all the way back to the beginning of the day. God is in the crisis. He's up to something. He's up to something good. One of the most bizarre, insane crises that I have ever witnessed was a Christian businessman, and uh, you could see it coming along. We, uh, I tried to stay close with him for a couple days, and one, one day just everything broke loose, and his family was, uh, was, was just frightened to death with this lunatic. Uh, he wasn't dangerous at all. He was just weird and unpredictable. We decided, since there weren't other resources, I couldn't have him in my own home at that particular time, and there, weren't, there wasn't anybody else who, who was available, we decided that he would, he would be hospitalized. Um, he was hospitalized for three days. had a chance to speak with him throughout those three days and visit him. At, at the third day, um, you know, we are we're, we're having a conversation, and he could feel the insanity sort of backing off a little bit. That's, that's the word he actually used. And... And he said, Ed, I, you know, I, I see that God is in this. I see that, that the Lord has taught me something most important. See, I, I knew that God asked for everything that I owned. And I gave it to him. My car was his, my house, my children. But, you know, I, I never gave him my mind. I never gave him my sanity. That was mine. And, and this has been a blessing to me from God. Uh, I don't want to go through it again, but, but God has taught me that everything I have is his, even my own sanity. This person's a, a completely different man today. Uh, he's a man who is humble, uh, even though he's a very successful businessman, uh, because he realizes truly that nothing he has is his own that everything belongs to the king. God truly is sovereign uh, and working good for his people.